You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, good evening, everybody. It's good to be back and continue our study of the doctrines of grace. Let's, uh, Let's all pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together in His Word. Our dearest Heavenly Father, we thank You for this absolutely glorious day, the sun shining, the warm temperatures, the sun warming us up past 60 degrees today was just an absolute delight. Father, it reminds me that you are the creator and sustainer of the heavens and the earth. and It's you who's responsible for blessing us today with this magnificent sunshine. We bow before you to say thank you and to recognize the goodness and the grace of God. Giving up winter's grip on us and allowing the spring weather to come on in. Father, we thank you that we are in this wonderful building, and I thank you for each and every one that came tonight, and we ask that you would meet with us now, and by the power of your Holy Spirit and through your grace and your mercy, would you press upon us the truths found in your word. Help us take our subject matter and help us to understand it so that uh, at the end of our study, what my prayer has always been is that all of us would fall in love with you and your Son and the Holy Spirit that much more. That we would exalt your great and holy and righteous name and recognize your majesty. But most of all, that we would recognize that you have brought everyone who is in Christ Jesus the Lord out of darkness into your marvelous light and that you get the glory and the honor for all of our salvations. And uh, Father God, we thank you that we had nothing to do with it. Because if the truth be known, if we did, we would have messed it up. So thank you that uh, you've kept us out of it, and kept us not uh, trying to interrupt it, and that uh, by your grace and mercy, We've been brought into a relationship with you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Meet with us now tonight. Help us with this uh, tremendous doctrine. And uh, may each of us all be blessed as we study your word here tonight. Father, we love you and thank you. And God's people said, Amen. Well, friends, I know it was three weeks ago. And guy, excuse me, I'm not able to clear my throat. There we go. (laughs) I think it was three weeks ago, and maybe it was longer, I don't quite remember, but we finished up the doctrine of election. And now we're coming to the doctrine of total depravity. And I'm going to ask a question for our introduction tonight to start stimulating you to start thinking here. And the first question that I want to propose to you is, Why is it that God has foreknown, 
predestined and elected us to salvation. Why did God have to foreordain, predestine, and then elect all of those to salvation? Why did he have to do that? We know he did that because we have been studying foreknowledge, predestination, and election, and clearly see the doctrines are taught in Scripture. Why did he have to do that? What, what, why? Yeah. Yeah. Let me propose it this way. Why is it that it's essentially wrong? Let me rephrase that. That's horrible. What is it that is essentially wrong with man that he needs to be drawn, quickened, and made alive unto salvation? What is wrong with man? Totally depraved. What is inherently and intrinsically wrong with man? I know a lot of men don't think there's anything wrong with them. Well, for centuries, theologians have said of the unregenerate man that he is totally depraved. Now, what this historical term, total depravity, means to convey is the idea that sin has completely infected the entire being of man. Let me, refer, let me say that again, because it's critical that we understand this. Total depravity is meant to convey the idea that sin has completely infected the entire being of man. That sin has tainted the whole person down to his or her very core. Now, people don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear that sin has tainted that whole person's core. Now, a more contemporary term to describe total depravity of man is the term the inability of man. The inability of man. The great Charles Spurgeon, in his sermon titled Human Inability, said this, and I quote, Through the fall and through our own sin, the nature of man has become so debased, so depraved, and corrupt that it is impossible for him to come to Christ without the assistance of the Holy Spirit. He continued and said, Man's nature is so corrupt that he has neither the will nor the power to come to Christ unless drawn by the Spirit. Now, I put that quote on your outline today, and you can look at that at another time. But that was when he was a young man preaching at Park Street. And that came out of the Park Street uh, pulpit. Well, friends, what Charles Spurgeon just said is exactly what the Bible teaches. 
For as early as the book of Genesis chapter 6, think about that, Genesis chapter 6, God said this about man. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I think I have that on your outline. Look at that one more time with me because what a description of man. By the way, man was created in Genesis chapter 2 or 3. I forget which chapter. But, but, but very shortly after 2, we got chapter 6 and God says this about man. Look at it with me one more time. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent, catch that? Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 declares this, the heart is, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now that brings us to point number one in our outlines. But before we go there, I used to be one of those people that thought man is essentially good. I used to think that my pre-Christ days. And thanks, Rich. Grab yourself one here too. Here. <coughs> Excuse me. But when I embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and for my salvation, and I started seeing my sin, and here I am 27 years later, and I just can't stand my sin, and my sin is always with me. Now, Diane's looking at me, smiling, shaking her head, because she, she knows me very well. And I don't like that. Because she always agrees, yes, his sin is very, yeah, yeah. I know. The longer we walk with God, the more that we see his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness, his character, in whom there is no darkness at all, and then you see your own. And you start to understand we are totally depraved. If it weren't by the grace of God, there we go also. So the first thing that I want to drag out of our, our study tonight is the first point, and it's on the back of that outline of yours, man's condition. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, sin has entered all men. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. You want to turn there? Grab your Bibles and open it up to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Get those hands and fingers warmed up. We're going to open that Bible up a lot and look at a lot of verses tonight. Romans chapter 5, verse 12.
And as you're going there, I said to you that since the fall of Adam and Eve, sin has entered all men. Now let's support that with Scripture. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Through one man, sin entered the world. And death through sin, and thus death spread to what? All men. Why? Because all sinned. Now, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, very familiar verse to you all. I'll wait till you get there. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Everybody there? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Brian, does that mean that the, the virgin mother, Mary, did she, was she a sinner? Yes. The Catholics tell you no, she was immaculately conceived without sin. That's not true. We don't have time tonight, but sometime go and look up Luke chapter 1 and go look at what she says in her prayer. She calls God her Father and Savior. She knew she was a sinner. So all, all means everyone, no one exempt, all fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes daily, sometimes minute by minute, sometimes hour by hour. We all fall short of the glory of God. So friends, sin has encapsulated the entire being, the whole core of all humanity. So the clear teaching of Scripture regarding man is that he was born in sin. Born in sin. Now let's flush that out. Turn over to Job chapter 5, please. Might be a little surprising to a lot of you that we're going to Job. <coughs> Excuse me. Job chapter 5, verse 7. Right before Psalms. Everybody there? Job chapter 5, verse 7. Job chapter 5, verse 7 says, Yet man is born to trouble, meaning sin. Man is born to sin. Turn over to Job chapter 14, verses 1 and 4. Job chapter 14, verses 1 and 4. Job says this, Man who is born of woman, thank you, man who is born of woman is of a few days full of trouble. And who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Look what it says. No one. Did you guys catch that, verse 4? No one. Turn over to Job chapter 15, verses 14 through 16, please. Job chapter 15, verses 14 through 16.
Everybody there? Look at the rhetorical question Job asks. What is man that he could be pure? And he who is born of woman that he could be righteous? If God puts no trust in his saints and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks inequity like water? Notice the exclamation point after it. Jump over to Psalms chapter 51, please. Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51, verses 2 and 3 and verse 5. David, his prayer. Wash me thoroughly from my inequity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. Look what he says. And my sin is always before me. Behold, I was brought forth in inequity, and in sin my mother conceived me. That is pretty clear, isn't it? Man is totally depraved. So friends, Scripture clearly evidences the fact that all men are born in inequity and sin. And, and yes, through one man sin entered the world. And sin spread to all men. So man's condition's clear. From conception, sin has poisoned all men to the core. In his mother's womb, he was conceived. Now I want to stop for just a moment and say that when Scripture speaks about the total depravity of man or the inability of man, it's not saying that man cannot do good things, humanly speaking. I got to make sure we understand that. An unregenerate man can feed the homeless and give monies to the poor and the needy, can he not? Sure, he can. An unregenerate man can protect a life from a murderer, from a rapist, from a thief, can he not? An unregenerate man can perform many good deeds. But friends, these are human good still based on a sinful nature. That's why the Word of God says this in Isaiah 64, 6. We are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags before God. In other words, even man's best deeds are still poisoned and tainted by his depraved nature or by his sinful nature. Now, with sin so prevalent in man, the Apostle Paul described in detail man's dreadful condition. Very familiar probably to most of you. Turn over to Romans chapter 3.
Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18 and verse 23. Hey, babe. Does my outline have all that? Did I? Okay. Okay. If not, I hope everybody's got some a pen with them so they can write down the references. But I thought I did. I list them. Oh, good. Okay. So I, I try. I thought I listed them. Did I miss a couple? If I did, write them in. Okay, Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of apps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen. What a descriptive indictment of man's condition. Isn't that That is the most descriptive indictment, I believe, found in Scripture regarding man's condition prior to regeneration. Paul said that none is righteous, not one, and there is none who seeks after God. None. So the second point that I want us to understand about the depravity of man We just saw man's condition. Now let's look at man's further condition. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. You can start turning there. While you are turning there, before redemption, man is spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Spiritually dead, Paul said, in trespasses and sin. Now, one place that has another description of the depraved nature and man's further condition is found in Ephesians chapter 2. So open up to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look together at verses 1 through 3. (coughs) Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The great apostle Paul said this, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Stop there. Who is you? The believer. The elect. 
And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we have all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Friends, this is another detailed description of an individual before he or she becomes a Christian. Before God regenerates you and makes you alive in Christ. This is what we were. All of us. No one's exempt. Once again, was Christ's mother Mary one of these? Yes. Yes. Notice. Notice in this description. Verse 1. They are dead in trespasses and sins. Notice that Paul doesn't describe dead in trespass and sin, but dead in trespasses and sin. Plural. You see that? It's plural, meaning it's ongoing, it's continued. It's ongoing and continued trespasses and sins. It's a plurality of inequity. And that's the unregenerate man. In other words, we are engulfed, encapsulated in sin. Now furthermore, Paul makes the most profound statement to describe the non-believer before salvation. He says that man is dead. Verse 1. He's dead. This word dead, quite interesting. It comes from the Greek word nekros, which literally means the actual spiritual condition of the unsaved man. He's dead. You see, the unregenerate man is a spiritual corpse. The unregenerate man is spiritually lifeless. He's simply a dead corpse in trespasses and sin. But Paul's not finished describing the unregenerate sinner. For the unregenerate man actively practices and pursues evil. Look at verse 2. Look what he says about the unregenerate man. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. What, what is the course of this world, beloved? If you were to answer that, you think about it for a minute. What is the course of this world? What direction is the world always going? He's the prince and power of this world, right? Heading to destruction. The course of this world is corruption, deceitfulness, evil, vileness, wickedness, etc., etc., etc. The NIV, I don't use it too often, 
I, I never got used to the North Idaho version. But the North Idaho version translated verse 2 wonderfully. It translated, you followed the ways of this world. You see, the unregenerate man always follows his fleshly depraved nature. Because sin is so prevalent in him, that is the driving factor. He loves darkness. He hates the light. The driving force governing the unregenerate man, governing his thoughts, driving force governing his intentions, and the driving force governing his actions, sin, inequity. He drinks inequity like water. You see, the non-believer operates by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 1 John 2.16 And the Apostle Paul understood this. That's why he finished his description of the unregenerate man as he did. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> we were conducting ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. Now, once again, I really like how the NIV rendered verse 3. It rendered it this way, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. What a description. Following the desires of the flesh and the thoughts. Now, how did God describe man back in Genesis 6, 5? Let's look at it one more time. It's on your, I think, the top of your notes. Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. <clears throat> when Paul penned Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, and said that it was a plurality of inequity, trespasses and sins. He was right. He understood what God said in Genesis 6-5. His heart was only evil part-time. It doesn't say that, does it? It says continually. Well, there's one more condition of man that I'd like to bring to your attention. As if this is not enough. You would think what we've already looked at is enough. It's pretty clear what's wrong with man. Our blessed Lord had something to say about man. Man's enslaved condition. John chapter 8, verse 34. We'll go there in a second. Now, before looking into Jesus' description of the unregenerate man, Peter made a comment in his second epistle regarding the non-believer. I'd like you to turn there. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. And I'm going to read, believe it or not, from the NIV.
God, does, does anybody here use the North Idaho version? I insulted you. Anybody? Nobody? Okay, if I did, I'm teasing. Everybody there? Second Peter? Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19. A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Once again, the NIV. Beloved, sin has mastered man. Before anyone is regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, by God's foreordination and predestination and election of that believer, before all of that took place, man was mastered by sin. He's a slave to sin. His natural bent is to follow sin. He's in bondage to corruption and he comes by it naturally. Now that's precisely how the Word of God also describes the unregenerate man. A slave of sin. So turn over to John chapter 8 verse 34. This was our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking here. John chapter 8, verse 34. John chapter 8, verse 34. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Now this word slave, it comes from a Greek word doulos, which literally means in bondage, Unable to escape a prisoner. And beloved, that's precisely the condition, once again, of all men before salvation. They are literally in bondage, unable to escape a prisoner of sin. Unable to escape and choose divine righteousness on their own. Impossible. Excuse me. Turn over to Romans chapter 6, please. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. And then we're going to look at 17 through 19. Everybody there? Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Listen to Paul. Knowing this, that our old man, the old man is the unregenerate man, the sin nature, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, with Christ, 
that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be what? Slaves of sin. Now look at verse 17, would you? Verse 17, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Friends, all unregenerate men, including you and I before we were regenerated, were under the, the capacity of sin. We were also captive of sin. We were captivated by sin. And the compulsion to sin, unable to escape the pull of the flesh. All of us. And not only is the unregenerate man under the, the capacity of sin and the capability of sin and the compulsion of sin, but he's under the control and the tyranny of sin. I chose those words carefully because I really want us to understand how sick we were before we were regenerated. This is why it's impossible for man to will himself into the kingdom. It's impossible. He can't do it. He's sick. He's depraved. That's why we call it man's inability. The Arminian says, no, man can do it on his own. He helps God out. Hmm. Mm -mm. No man seeks after God. No one. Thus, it's an accurate description of all unregenerated men to say that they are enslaved to sin. And no matter how hard they try, they will always continue in that state until God in His sovereignty releases that man. That man can't release himself. Now to put it another way, there is nothing the unregenerate man can do to release himself from this bondage of sin. Nothing. If God does not intervene in that man, he will never be released from the bondage of sin. He is a captive of sin. In and of himself, the lost soul will never repent of his sinful nature and turn to God. Never. That's why John 3.19 says this. In fact, why don't you turn there? Please, turn to John chapter 3, verse 19. 
John chapter 3, verse 19. Everyone there? The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 19. By the way, this was, you know, the discourse between Nicodemus and our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Nicodemus came to the Lord at night and he had questions for the Lord. If you recall, the Lord said to him that he must be born again. And the reason he must be born again is found right here in John chapter 3, verse 19. Look with me. Men love darkness rather than the light because his deeds are what? Evil. But look at verse 20 right after it. For everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? Why doesn't he come to the light? Because he's dead in trespasses and sin. He's a slave of sin. That's what's wrong with man. He cannot escape it, nor will he escape it. He will continue living in that flesh and serving that flesh. Now, before I go any further, <coughs> is there any questions? Any comments? I'd love to hear from you. Anybody? Okay. Everybody understands just how depraved we man, man is. Everybody understands that if God did not reach out and call us out of darkness into His marvelous light, we would never come to Him. It's an absolute impossibility. Isn't that what the Lord said? No man cometh to the Father unless the Father what? Draws him. So I want to leave you some closing thoughts and we're going to look at quite a bit of Scripture real quick. And I went fast on purpose because I wanted to make sure we could get this done tonight. I didn't want it to go two weeks because I got something kind of special to do in the next couple of weeks. In closing, some thoughts. If an unregenerated man is to be freed from the bondage of sin... If he is going to be free from the imprisonment of sin, someone or something has to release him. Remove him. Rescue this man from his shackles of sin. Someone or something has to draw him or quicken him or make him alive. For this man receives salvation and the forgiveness of sin. A divine aid, a divine intervention must take place. A divine impulse, a divine motivation must move this man's heart to receive God's grace and to repent of his sins. Now, it's utterly important to remember that this man that we're talking about is spiritually dead. And he cannot discern spiritual matters. Let me prove that. It's very critical we understand. 
A dead man, an unregenerate man cannot discern spiritual matters. He can't discern the word of God. Well, where does it say that? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Would you please turn there? First Corinthians chapter one, verse 18, and then put your finger also in First Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 18. Make sure I don't hear any pages turning. And then look over at chapter 2. Put your finger there because we're going to jump over there too. Okay, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Who's perishing? Who, who, who's perishing here? Yeah, non-believers. The unregenerate. The non-believer. The lost man. For the message of the cross is foolishness to the unregenerate. Oh. But for the natural man, again, the unregenerate, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. There it is. Friends, don't think for one minute that the unregenerate, the lost soul, the non-believer, the non-Christian can discern the Word of God. Can't do it. In fact, the cross is foolishness to him. He looks at that and he mocks it. So, how is the man who is dead in trespasses and sin and a slave of sin, able to receive God's grace, repent and turn from his natural bent to sin. How does he do that? May I make it very clear that dead men cannot raise themselves to life? A dead man cannot raise himself to life. So how does a totally depraved man turn away from that constant desire to sin and love in it? How does he do that? Does he just pull himself up by his bootstraps and come to God? What, Craig? <laughs> He's got to hear the gospel. Scripture says that the power unto salvation is what? The gospel. Paul says that he came to preach what? The gospel. The power unto salvation is the gospel. May I say unequivocally that God is the responsible agent in the salvation of the unregenerate soul. 
that God is the responsible aid, that God is the responsible intervention to bring dead men to life. And the instrument that he uses is the gospel. If the gospel is not preached or presented to a lost soul, he will never embrace Christ. What's the gospel? We use that term all the time. It's a beautiful term. What's the gospel? Somebody tell me, what is the simplest explanation of the gospel? What was it? The gospel. What is the gospel, though? It's simple. Nobody be afraid. Somebody take a jump at it. Yes. Nicole. What was our penalty? Very good. The penalty for sin is death. The gospel is Jesus Christ crucified, died, and resurrected for the remissions of sin. If you don't present to a man that he is a sinner, that he is lost in trespasses and sin, you haven't presented the reason for him to embrace Jesus Christ and repent. The gospel includes the S word, sin. Jesus Christ crucified, died, and resurrected for the remissions of sin. Does anybody know what Paul said to the Philippian jailer when he said, what must I do to be saved? Anybody know? What did he say? He says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you shall be saved. Who does all of that, though, in a man's heart? How does the man able to utter that? God is the aid. God is the one. He's the responsible agent to bring that lost man to salvation. It's not the man. The man can't do it on his own. It's impossible. He has to be moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's support all of this. Let's go back where we kind of began. Let's go back to John chapter 1, please. <clears throat> Does anybody remember when we first started the very first night? And I said to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ taught the doctrines of grace first in the New Testament? Do you remember that? He was the first one in the New Testament of all the New Testament to teach the doctrines of grace. The doctrines of grace are found in John's Gospel. And it was our Lord who presented it in the New Testament first. So in John chapter 1, Verse 12 and 13, we find this pen, and we've looked at this so many times, but it's critical. We've got to understand 
This man who's unregenerate, who's dead in trespasses and sins, comes to faith how? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Isn't that clear? Okay, we're in John. Go over to John chapter 5, verse one, uh, 21, please. John 5, 21. John chapter 5, verse 21. Everybody there? Look what our Lord said. He said in verse 21 of chapter 5, For as the Father raises the dead. Who's the dead? The unbeliever. The man who is dead in trespasses and sins. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. Everybody see that? The unregenerated dead in trespasses and sin non-believer can't raise himself. It's impossible. He needs help. He needs a divine agent. He needs the divine agent. He needs the triune God. So since we're in John, let's go over to John chapter 6 now. John chapter 6. We saw clearly what's wrong with man. Now I want to make sure we clearly know how does that man come to faith in Christ. John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. Our Lord says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Stop there. Friends? <coughs> oh, that hurts. There was a time when God the Father gave the Lord Jesus Christ all of us that are born-again believers in here tonight. All born-again believers. God gave them to Christ. One day, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to give us all back to the Father. But for tonight, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me 
that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. That is so clear, isn't it? We'll stay in chapter 6. Let's go to verse 44 through 45. Let's read down a little further. The Lord Jesus continues, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Then I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Drop down to verse 65. And Jesus said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted by my Father. I don't know how much clearer we could ever, ever read Scripture and miss this. Well, we already looked at Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. Uh... Go back to Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians. Go back to chapter 1, verse 19, please. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. You know, I, I, I just can't stand just jumping in the middle of a verse. This has got to be one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Let's 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 look a little closer here. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 3. And I'm going to read it through to verse 19. And I want you to pay really close attention of what God's doing here. Okay? And what Christ is doing here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, here comes the anthem of praise. Here comes Paul's heart gushing out to God for what God has done for all believers. He says this, Just as God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined or predetermined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. Now this is what blows my mind especially when I recognize how depraved I am. He says, according to the good pleasure of his will. In other words, God found good pleasure in redeeming me. Oh. Then he continues, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of God's grace, which He made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Notice the us, the us, the us, the us, the us. Who's the us? The elect, the believer, the regenerated, 
though born again. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he, look at this, purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined or predetermined according to the purpose of him. He predestined us. He predetermined us. According to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now in him you've also trusted after you heard the word of the truth. Look at the gospel of your salvation. In whom also having believed. Look what it says. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? I did not see anything in that passage that pointed to you. It didn't point to me. It points to God. It points to the triune Godhead, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Since we like Ephesians so much, go over to chapter 3 real quick. I have a typing error here, so I'm not sure. Let me... Okay, yeah. Let's pick up chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation or the stewardship of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles, you and I, should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective or the effectual call. The gospel. Now, a very familiar passage. Let's, let's turn there and we're going to wrap this up. Turn over to Titus. Titus chapter 3, verses 5. Verses 5. Seven. No, yeah. Oop. Verse 
Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Again, a very familiar passage to all of us. I'll pick it up in verse 4. Everybody there? Verse 4, chapter 3. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy He saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Christ our Savior, that having been justified by God's grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Once again, I don't see anything there that points to man. Everything points to God. So beloved, dead men, dead men are made alive by the drawing and quickening power of God through the affectionate, effectual, and effective call of God on their hearts. In other words, by God's irresistible grace. The divine agent, the divine aid, the divine intervention is God himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all who are in Christ respond in faith by the drawing, quickening, and wooing power of God upon their hearts, upon the hearts of totally depraved men. That's why Paul unequivocally proclaimed, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Are unregenerated men totally depraved? Yes. Dead in trespasses and sins and slaves of sins, but it is the power of God that brings dead men to life. That's why Paul proclaimed in 2 Thessalonians chapter 13. Let's close with that tonight. We've looked at it so many times, but here's why Paul penned it. Go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. The great apostle Paul said this, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. We didn't choose God for salvation, friends. God chose us. That's why, again, Peter says that God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He had to. We were not able to do it on our own. Man's inability is because he's totally depraved. Let's close in a word of prayer.
our great and majestic and sovereign, holy, righteous God. When we look and see what our condition is before you regenerated us, when we see that our hearts were always bent towards sin, when we see that our complete beings have been tainted and scarred by original sin and that original sin was passed down to all men, what grave love and affection it gives me in my heart. It makes me want to worship and praise and exalt you, Father, from the rooftops, from the mountain, and proclaim your majesty. Father God, I will spend eternity loving you and loving your Son and your Holy Spirit for doing exactly what Scripture says that you did before the foundation of the world, you chose us to be in Christ Jesus. And then you elected us to that position in real time, each one of us differently. But the fact remains the same. It was fully and solely and wholly of you, Father. Father God, help us. We're still sinful. We still have that bent. Help us to love you and honor you and obey you with our lives. Help us to leave this study of the doctrines of grace and to fall more and more in love with you every day when we see clearly what you have done on our behalf. Father, as I pray with Lori every night, I don't know any other way to approach you except to love you with all my heart, soul, and strength. And though I fall so short of that daily, my new bent is to honor you with my life, to have surrendered. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he says that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Father, that is a man who has surrendered his will to yours. He saw the Savior kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane and he heard his voice utter those magnificent words. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Help us to be those kind of people. To surrender and yield our lives, our will to you and your Lordship. And our salvation and knowing how we came to faith in Christ should be enough alone to drive us to those knees and to honor you with our lives. Well, we thank you for the study of the doctrines of grace, and I thank you for all the people who are willing to come. Many came from quite distances. Jeff came from Bonners, and folks have come from, from uh, Naples. Others have come from Samuels, and others have come from the south end of Sago. Father, would you bless each and every one that have been here throughout this study and help us all. Help us all to love you that much more. And uh, as we move forward with the next lesson plans, I pray that you would bless it. It'll get very exciting here real soon, I think, with 
when we really look at Calvinism, but uh, help me to clearly teach it and expound the scriptures and shed light to it, but uh, truthfully, the real teacher in this sanctuary tonight is the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I'm here to communicate. Help me to do so accurately, rightly dividing the word of truth so that you'd partner with me, giving the understanding to my brothers and sisters here tonight. We thank you, and we bless you, and uh, we adore you, Father. And we do so in the magnificent name of your precious and most dearest Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.